Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen of Calvary Chapel Pearland. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. One time I went for a walk in the woods, some deep woods with some friends of mine, and we kept walking and walking and walking. Well, it started to get dark, and I thought, you know, we better go back. So after walking for a long time, we turned around, started going back, but it got darker and darker. I soon realized we were lost. (laughs) And so some people that we were following, I realized they didn't exactly have a plan on how to get back. And I thought, uh uh-oh. How are we going to get back? I thought there must be a way back. We did eventually get back. But, you know, when you go out and do something, there needs to be a way back for when you get lost. And that is a theme I want to focus on in 1 Kings 8 as we finish the chapter up, that covenant works through a way back. For covenant to work, for God to deliver on the promises that he has made with his people, there has to be a way back because we are prone to getting lost. So think on that for a minute as we go into it, now here in 1 Kings 8, verse 46, where Solomon is still praying on behalf of the people of Israel. When they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you become angry with them and deliver them to the enemy, and they take them captive to the land of the enemy, far or near, yet when they come to themselves in the land where they were carried captive and repent... And make supplication to you in the land of those who took them captive, saying, We have sinned and done wrong. We have committed wickedness. And when they return to you with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their enemies who led them away captive and pray to you toward their land, which you gave to their fathers, the city which you have chosen and the temple which I have built for your name, then here in heaven your dwelling place, their prayer, and their supplication, and maintain their cause, and forgive your people who have sinned against you, and all their transgressions which they have transgressed against you, and grant them compassion before those who took them captive, that they may have compassion on them, for they are your people and your inheritance whom you brought out of Egypt, out of the iron furnace." that your eyes may be open to the supplication of your servant and the supplication of your people Israel to listen to them whenever they call to you. So Solomon is just asking the Lord, please hear us, please hear us. But he remembered very well that the Lord had taken the Israelites out of Egypt with the intention of making them a separate people. Now that's what the word holy means. It means set apart, separated. But Solomon also knew that sin provokes God's wrath. And sometimes it provokes God's wrath to such a point that God would actually have Israel taken captive by their enemy, no longer to be set apart. See, when you're in the land of an enemy, you're not set apart anymore. 
So it kind of goes like this. When God's people stop being holy, then God might let them find out what not holy actually is for the purpose of getting them to turn back again, to make them, to get them to repent and come back. Now look at verse 52 and see that Solomon called Egypt. He called them the iron furnace. Now, why would Solomon call Egypt an iron furnace? Well, remember earlier in chapter 8, Solomon spoke a lot about the Lord's affliction, affliction that the Lord puts on his people. Isaiah 48 and 10, Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. So that's why Solomon called Egypt an iron furnace, because it was the affliction that was needed. It was necessary to get them to turn back to the Lord God again. Now, for Solomon to pray this specific about Israel being taken away, I believe that Solomon was actually prophesying in his prayer. He was, he was speaking of the future that he couldn't even see, because this is exactly what was going to happen to Israel 400 years later. They would be taken away captive. Israel's sin would culminate to such a level, a high level, that in Second Kings 24 and 10, it says, At that time the servants of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up against Jerusalem, and the city was besieged. And Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came against the city as his servants were besieging it. Then Jehoiakim, king of Judah, his mother, his servants, his princes, and his officers went out to the king of Babylon. And the king of Babylon, in the eighth year of his reign, took him prisoner. And he carried out from there all the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house, and he cut in pieces all the articles of gold which Solomon, king of Israel, had made in the temple of the Lord. So this is a very saddening thing to me, knowing that's what's coming ahead. See, I just took you in the future. That's the benefit we have as Bible readers. We can jump back and forth through time and see things that Solomon could not see. Well, I say he couldn't see it. He didn't live to see it, but he prayed, I think, in prophesying toward it. Here in 1 Kings 8, Solomon was just now dedicating this temple to the Lord, the temple that we hear that Nebuchadnezzar and his guys came and tore it apart and took it down. Such an exciting day here in 1 Kings 8. All the sacrifices that were going on, the presence of the Lord filled the temple, but within just 400 years, it was all going to go south. Because of what? Because of willful, unrepentant sin. Sin that provokes God's wrath. Friends, do y'all remember all the bronze work that we talked about that was in the temple that we recently studied in chapter 7? 2 Kings 25 and 13 says, The bronze pillars that were in the house of the Lord, and the carts and the bronze sea that were in the house of the Lord, the Chaldeans broke in pieces and carried their bronze to Babylon. So now that we know what's coming, and a foreign enemy was going to come take them away, look at Solomon's prayer here in 1 Kings 8. Look at it again. This is why I say that he was prophesying about what was coming. Back 1 Kings 8. Solomon prayed for the Israelites to be helped by the Lord God if they went into captivity for their sin. If somebody comes and takes us away because our sin got so bad, and he's acknowledging that the Lord will afflict them by taking them away, he would ask the Lord, would you hear and bring us back? Now, just as Solomon prayed for this here in 1 Kings 8, Israel did experience God's restoration back to the land later. Jeremiah 25 and 12, then it will come to pass when 70 years are completed that I will punish the king of Babylon 
and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, says the Lord, and I will make it a perpetual desolation. So this was the Lord acting towards the restoration of his people after their repentance, just like Solomon was praying for here in 1 Kings 8. The Lord had before pulled Israel out of Egypt, and so if he pulled them out of Egypt, then he could take them out of Babylon too. And so the Lord allowed them to come back to Israel again and rebuild, just as Solomon was praying for. Now, you can read all about this restoration and all about that rebuilding in the books of Nehemiah and Ezra if you want to. Now, one fun thing about the Bible is that you can travel backwards in time and forwards in time. You can get more emphasis and more validation on whatever someone is saying, like in this case, I believe that King Solomon was not just praying for the people of Israel that he had at that time, but Solomon was also praying prophetically for the entire future of Israel, Israel's entire history, their existence even today. Now, you see, Solomon repeatedly prayed over and over that he knew the Davidic covenant. The Lord said he's going to have someone of David's line to sit on the throne of Israel forever. And so herein lies the great paradox. Here's the big problem. If God would hand over a nation to an enemy and allow the Israelites to be taken away, then how can there be an eternal kingdom for that nation's throne if that nation is gone? If Israel is taken away, how can that covenant happen? How can there be a throne that God would promise someone to sit there forever if that throne is not even there? And so obviously, there has to be a way of restoration. There must be a way back. And so Solomon knew that even though man was sinful, he also knew that by covenant, there must be a way back. By sin, man is going to go down, but by covenant, there must be a way back up again. Now, if there was absolutely no way to come back, for the Israelites to come back and be restored, then God had no way to keep this covenant promise that he gave to David. If Israel failed to exist, how can there be an eternal king on David's throne? There must be a way back. And Christian, I hope you hear me when I'm saying this. There has to be a way back. We've all sinned. There must be a way back. God's covenant promise was called upon by Solomon. He called upon that promise in front of all the people of Israel so that they could hold themselves accountable to it. That's going out on a limb when you call for something so specific, and you do it in front of people. I was guest speaking at a church one time, and I called for people to come forward and give their life to Jesus, and two people came forward, and I'm like, oh, great. And the Lord said, there's one more. (laughs) There's one more. And I thought, okay, there's somebody else that's sitting out there. You're struggling, and you just don't want to do it yet. Why don't you come on up here? I pressed, and I pressed, and I started thinking in my mind, Ray, what if there is nobody else? And you're acting like, you know, the Lord told you there's one more and that one person doesn't show up. You're you're really out on a limb. What if you're made to look like a liar or a phony? Well, thank God that one more finally broke and they came up out of the crowd and they did come forward and give their life to Christ. But there for a minute, I thought, oh, my goodness, I'm, I'm going to be in a mess if this person doesn't show up. <laughs> People are going to say, well, how valid do we hold this guy? If he's saying the Lord told me there's one more and nobody shows up, well, then I look like a fake. So when you see Solomon stood in front of all Israel and he prayed for the covenant to be held up, that's going out on a limb. That's really trusting the Lord. And when he would make such a a prayer like that, 
Lord, when your people fail and they get dragged away and, and bring them back, Lord God. And he did it in front of all these people so that it would be recorded for all time. And here we are reading it. That was, that was a gutsy move. That was being bold for the Lord in Solomon's prayer. So Solomon prayed for Israel way back if they had got lost to Lord, bring them back. Then in 1 Kings 8.53, he says, For you separated them from among all the peoples of the earth to be your inheritance. As you spoke by your servant Moses, when you brought our fathers out of Egypt, O Lord God. So Solomon, he, what he did here, he prayed for when the day comes and the enemy takes us away. Then he remembered back to when the Lord took them out of Egypt. He delivered them from Egypt. Solomon was just saying, Lord, you have rescued us once before, so we know that you can do it again. There can be, there must be, there can be, and there will be a way back. So why would there be any doubt that the Lord could deliver them a second time when they've already seen it happen? And that's why Solomon said, we remember what you did for us in Egypt. So when the time comes and we get taken captive again because of our sin, Lord, we call upon your covenant promise that there must be a way back that you will bring us back again. They had full assurance that God would restore his people, and they had no doubt about it. 1 Kings 8 and 54. And so it was when Solomon had finished praying all this prayer and supplication to the Lord that he arose from before the altar of the Lord from kneeling on his knees with his hands spread up to heaven. Now, friends, this is such an easy verse to skip over if you're not careful, because this verse really packs a punch in it. The definition of supplication means to ask or plead in almost a begging type manner. Now, if you've ever seen people beg, they get down in the same posture that Solomon was in. They get down on their knees, which is a begging posture. Now, to think that Solomon, he was the king of the world's greatest superpower of that day. He had all the gold, all the silver. Solomon was the most powerful king on the earth at that time, but he got on his knees and asked the begging the Lord for the Lord's protection. Now, you don't see kings get on their knees. You don't see kings ask like that. But Solomon did because this is a godly stance. Friends, did you know that King Jesus, Messiah Jesus, he got down on his knees and prayed for you and me? He prayed to the Father, Lord, forgive them. Lord, they don't know what they're doing. Lord, draw them back. Lord, bring them back. That's not typical of what you expect a king to do for a king that has it all. But the Lord Jesus did that for you and me. This is Solomon, had everything. He was showing the nation that he had everything except what only God could provide. What is this that God could only do? It was an internal guarantee of covenant. Only God can do that. No human can guarantee such a thing as an eternal covenant. Friends, your pastor can't save you. I can't save you. The biggest, grandest, most hugest church (laughs) with all the money in the big budget, they cannot save you. And a lot of people think their churches can do exactly that. They cannot do that. So don't just skip over a verse like this. Remember, Solomon is just not, he's no ordinary guy. He's the king. But yet, even with all the power that Solomon had, he knew he would never have enough power to save Israel on his own. Solomon acknowledged that salvation was the work of the Lord God alone. 1 Kings 8.55, Then he stood and blessed all the assembly of Israel with a loud voice, saying, 
Blessed be the Lord, who has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he promised. There has not failed one word of all his good promise, which he promised through his servant Moses. May the Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. May he not leave us nor forsake us, that he may incline our hearts to himself. Friends that are in the book with me right now, verse 58, you need to underline or highlight that where it says that he may incline our hearts to himself. It's very important to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, which he commanded our fathers. And may these words of mine, which I have made supplication before the Lord, be near the Lord our God day and night, that he may maintain the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel as each day may require, that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God. There is no other. Let your heart therefore be loyal to the Lord our God, to walk in his statutes and keep his commandments as at this day. Now, friends, we got to consider that Israel has had a rough past, even today. They had been slaves in four, for 400 years in Egypt. They were lost in the desert for 40. But now here in 1 Kings 8, they were in the land that God had promised them to be their own and they had a brand new temple for the Lord God of Israel. Things are looking pretty, pretty good. Right when things are looking the best, that's when people start to mess up. And I think this is why Solomon sensed in the spirit, he knew that he had to pray like this for when an enemy come and take him, would take him away. Solomon threw in the warning here, keep his commandments, keep his statutes and his judgments. In other words, do what God says. There's no time to start slacking off just because things are looking good. And that's what we people tend to do. Things look great. We just chill out. Now, Solomon did not want the people to abuse this covenant that God had promised them. Because, you know, that's what the first thought is on a lot of people's minds would be is, well, you know, God is, has to uphold his promise. So let's just go party and do whatever we want to. God, has he made a promise. He's got to keep it right. That's how people think. And it's very prominent especially today, the way people think. They abuse covenant. Oh, God promised me this, so I'm going to do what I want to, and he has to deliver on that. And that's a terrible, sinful way of thinking. However, this is what makes verse 58 so prominent. And I had you underline or, or highlight that, because Solomon said, May God not leave or forsake us. Why? That he may incline our hearts to himself, incline us to walk in his ways. Friends, that is a huge statement. The very fact that God will not leave or forsake us should cause us to incline ourselves to do what? To obey. You know, having a guarantee of eternal life or a guarantee of promise of whatever sort that God has given you should not incline you to disobey. No, you should be inclined to obey, not the opposite. That's what covenant should do. When I talk to people about being saved in Jesus and nothing can take that away, they sometimes they think I'm preaching a sin license. No, I'm not at all. You do not have the right to sin. That is an abuse of covenant. Covenant should cause someone to incline themselves to following the Lord God and obeying him. God's not leaving us should promote obedience. That should not promote us to think, of abuse of covenant, I'm going to go sin all I want to. 
Well, that was Solomon's prayer, is to not have an abusive covenant, that the covenant keep the Israelites walking in obedience, and that his covenant would incline them to do so. Friends, God offers you eternal life, and once you get it for real, and you have truly repented of your sins, that should incline you to obey God, not disobey God. 1 Kings 8 and 62. Then the king and all Israel with him offered sacrifices before the Lord. And Solomon offered a sacrifice of peace offerings, which he offered to the Lord, 22,000 bulls and 120,000 sheep. So the king and all the children of Israel dedicated the house of the Lord. On the same day, the king consecrated the middle of the court that was in front of the house of the Lord. For there he offered burnt offerings, grain offerings, and the fat of the peace offerings, because the bronze altar that was there before the Lord was too small <laughs> to receive the burnt offerings, the grain offerings, and the fat of the peace offerings. Now, it's apparent to me, because of the huge volume of sacrifices that were going on, that there were sacrifices being made on auxiliary altars, extra altars that they had somewhere else besides just that altar at the temple, because it just wasn't big enough. And this is what it looks like for a nation that really, really wanted to get right with God. Lots of sacrifice, all this thank you and prayer and Lord protect us and bring your people back. So anyway, in 1 Kings 8 and 65, at that time, Solomon held a feast and all Israel with him, a great assembly from the entrance of Hamath to the brook of Egypt before the Lord our God. Seven days and seven more days, 14 days. On the eighth day, he sent the people away, and they blessed the king and went to their tents joyful and glad of heart for all the good that the Lord had done for his servant David and for Israel, his people. Friends, look at this. They're partying. They're having a great time. It, you know, there's such thing as a good party. You can actually party down and, and have a good righteous party. <laughs> so getting right with the Lord, it's... We just got to understand from this passage that getting right with God is not a drag. It's not this, oh, I got to get right with God. I can't have any fun anymore. <laughs> you know, because oftentimes I'll talk to people about getting right with the Lord, about repenting and obeying his commands instead of doing their own life. And when they hear that, they do this oh, kind of thing. It's like you can tell they just don't want it because they think it doesn't sound fun, you know. But for those whose hearts are inclined to God, we recognize the covenant that he has done for us and the promise we're not inclined to sin, we're inclined to God. Now, for those of us who are genuinely belong to Jesus, belong to the Lord for real, getting right with God is not a drag, it's fun. It's actually a blast. I've had more fun since I came to Jesus for real. I thought I was uh, had come to Jesus at one time and I wasn't. But when I got saved for real, man, this is the big party you don't want to miss. Those who love God enjoy God, and that's why Israel celebrated. They had fun. They ate well. They had a lot of good talking. I mean, I'm sure they danced a little bit, had a great time, and they celebrated their relationship with their God. Friends, we should be joyful, festive, as we celebrate our relationship with God because He saved us. I hope you don't find Christianity boring. If fun is in the Bible and you're allowed to try it and find out that it actually works and that it's actually okay, all right? Thank 
you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time, unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen of Calvary Chapel Pearland. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set.